The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Wall Street's biggest banks cut their forecasts on four-year Chinese GDP, with Hong Kong and mainland stocks underperforming, led by losses in the property sector. U.S. equities kick off a busy reporting week in the green as the big banks take centre stage yet again. Our U.S. colleagues will be speaking with Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman and Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan following their second quarter results. Elsewhere, a Microsoft deal for Activision inches closer this amid reporting of an extension to today's deadline. This after Berkshire Hathaway reveals it sold 70% of its stake in the game maker in the second quarter. And Russia pulling out of the Black Sea Green deal, accusing the West of not keeping its side of the bargain. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky tells Russia extortion won't be tolerated. No one has the right to destroy the food security of any nation. The world has an opportunity to show that blackmail is not allowed to anyone. Plus, Casino's board approving rescue talks with Daniel Kratinsky as the Czech billionaire tries to save the French retailer from bankruptcy. Numbers out from Big Pharma Giant Novartis this morning. And as we uh, just take the, the first line that's crossed uh, at 6 a.m. Uh, local this morning, Novartis delivers strong sales growth, robust margin expansion, and raises guidance, announces 15 billion US dollar share buyback. Uh, so uh, this is just crossing the tape. Uh, the core net income, 3.81 billion. US dollars. The core EPS, 1.83 US dollars versus uh, estimates of about 1.67. So topping out on those numbers. Uh, in terms of what uh, the overall EPS was, 1.11, that net income line uh, that we're seeing in the second quarter, 2.32 billion. The company's core operating income is at 4.67 billion versus estimates for a much lower number of about 4.18 billion. So uh, those numbers are above. Also on the sales number, the print is firmer than expectations. It's 13.6 billion US dollars. It uh, has also gone on to say that uh, sales in the second quarter grew by 9%. The expectations are previously about 7%. Core operating income growing at plus 17%, so double-digit numbers there in terms of that performance. But uh, the new frontier, of course, is uh, what comes next for the business in terms of the separation of Sandos. The board of directors has endorsed the separation of Sandos by way of a 100% spin-off, so uh, reorganising the portfolio here, initiating that $15 billion share buyback to be completed by the end of 2025. In terms of what comes next, the company is also talking about Momentum, uh, the group's guidance that has been uh, based on strong first half momentum. Sales expected to grow from a high single digit uh, from mid. Uh, so that is where they're gu guiding for. Operating income expected to grow low double digit. And that is from high single double single digit. So uh, the numbers a little bit firmer today in terms of what we are seeing versus expectations. Good morning. How are you? I'm very, very well, thank Raring you. Raring to go. Yeah. Ish. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because what is really interesting, I just while you were doing all the, the clear and present 
um, statistics um, mm. on this company. I was doing a little bit of work on this one versus the rivals, and I fully expected to be saying, actually, it's a little bit underwhelming in terms of its performance, in terms of the fact that we showed a board showing it's up 1.6% for the year, uh, Sanofi up around about 4.8%, and yet, the clue to what I'm about to say it, it lies in Roche there, sitting in the middle, which is down 7.7% for the year. And actually, Novartis has done pretty well compared with most of the sector. Uh, and, and I'll bring out some big names for you. So it's up 1.6%, and it does trade on circa 14 times forward, 14.1 times forward, which is a premium uh, to the broader sector as well. Roche, as uh, the board has shown there, is down 7.7% this year, trades at a slight discount to Novartis at 13 times forward as well. But I thought to myself, well, we talk a lot, you and I, about tech valuations. And we talk about tech valuations in the United States compared with Europe and how Europe trades at a discount, the US trades at a premium because of the pool of investors, because of the excitement about new technologies. Well, if ever there was a sector that kind of transcends the two, perhaps it's pharmaceuticals as well and biotechnology as well and all those amazing new sciences that we talk about on a daily basis. And yet this is a sector which seems relatively unloved, certainly stateside. So I took a look at Pfizer and I thought Pfizer was fascinating. Shares in Pfizer are down 30% year to date. The company trades at 10 times forward as well. So as much as I may bemoan a relatively stately performance uh, from um, Novartis, which is on the screen there with Pfizer as well. And, and if you look at those two, you compare those kind of moves to what we're seeing in technology this year, where the Nasdaq's up 37%. You think, well, is there a, an opportunity here to pick up value on the cheap? And again, that's a question for the industry experts. But what is interesting is how unloved this sector appears to be. Have a look at the British name as well, AstraZeneca. Actually trades at a slight premium in terms of price to book, a big pardon, in terms of price to earnings. Trades at 16.8. But again, it's a stock that has fallen fairly aggressively this year, down around about 9%. So when we've seen gains on the S&P, gains on the Nasdaq, gains on the Dow, if we're looking for big sector underperformance, I think we found it in the pharmaceuticals. Yeah, perhaps uh, that is why you are seeing some moves to try and recognise the sum of parts uh, equation. And Sandoz, so this is the uh, patent uh, spin-off of the, the non-generics business. It has been effectively on the block for a number of years, August 2022. It was fleshed out that it was going to be put out there into the marketplace. And in terms of timing, it's the last possible window really to come to market. That's been speaking about the second half of this year as a planned listing date. Now it will be the final quarter of this year. It's planned to be listed on the sixth Swiss exchange with an American depository receipt. The spin-off here early fourth quarter of 2023. So this is a business that was seen potentially worth up to $25 billion at one point. The question is what that looks like and uh, what type of market will be coming to later this year. I think you're spot on. Of course, they are trying to realise some of the parts, but they're also trying to say, hang on a second, we think we're undervalued here. So the old tried and tested format of having that buyback, which again was in those flashes you were talking about, uh, $15 billion worth of buyback to be completed by the year end 2025. I, I would put that in the same bracket as your Sandoz comments as well. They're a twin strategy, as well as growing the core business. So uh, a, a, a trio strategy. What's what's was a twin triplet strategy? There you go. Um, a triplet strategy to try and drive growth, growth in the core, split off non-core businesses, and indeed try and realise some value by buying back some shares. I will just highlight one issue, and yes. this is a it's a business that has always been ripe for disruption. A new drug that comes to market that disrupts something that's already been uh, in production that has taken many many years, decades probably to come to fruition. This is a business that can see disruption from all quarters, and the big question 
question is what AI does for this business down the track and whether it can disrupt the business of making medicines. Novartis did actually come up with a very big deal, uh, expand its uh, neuroscience pipeline, a $500 million acquisition just in the last 24 hours or so. So there is uh, plenty, I think, of vines in the fire for this business. In but terms I think your point about AI is in, well in taken. And it comes back to a conversation that you and I have had many times with guests around this channel already this year. Uh, and that is when we're looking at AI wins, obviously you look at the picks and shovels of NVIDIA who have this amazing head start, but then you look at the rivals who are trying to catch up and the gold rush we're seeing there. But you also, very importantly, need to look at the companies who are using AI. It's a bit like cloud. It's a bit like Internet of Things. It's a bit like having a .com or URL back in the 90s. The fact of the matter is these aren't necessarily standalone companies where you're going to make advice, it's the companies who are using these new technological tools and using them to the best ability, they're the ones who are going to have that competitive advantage potentially. Yeah, and of course, I think if you think about the industry, gene therapy was where it was at for a long time for the industry, but there's uh, plenty of new technology coming into the mix, big data, and of course AI. But there's some amazing news. Um, well, I mean, it's not really what we're going to talk about now, but uh, um, Alzheimer's. Yes. I don't know if you've I've been looking at all, but there's some extraordinary news going on at the moment. And we talk about, uh, I think this one's called Donanibab. I know it's a terrible pronunciation. Donanibab, uh, found to slow Alzheimer's and hailed as a turning point in the fight against the disease. Uh, found to slow clinical decline by up to 35%. I mean, that is enormous news. Um, you know, if indeed that is the start of a, a new set of treatment, a new types of treatment for what is a, a devastating disease. Well, this talk it could be available on the NHS by 2025, so we're within reach as we talk about breakthrough drugs. Yeah. On a programming note, our US colleagues will be speaking with the CEO of Novartis, Vaz Narasimhan, at 1700 CET. I should point out that that's uh, Eli Lilly a drug, I believe, as well. So, yes, um, market moving this week. Yeah. In terms of the European earnings, well, the season clearly ramping up this week. Results are expected today from Mercado, followed by ASML and Rio Tinto on Wednesday. SAP, Nokia, EasyJet and Volvo Car will release their results on Thursday, with SSE and Telenor also due to report. The Biden administration officials have met with heads of America's largest chipmakers on Monday to discuss industry relations and supply chains. The State Department said Secretary, the uh, State Secretary, uh, Antony Blinken, had wanted to hear directly from the country's chipmakers following his recent China visit. It comes after the largest U.S. semiconductor lobby group urged the government not to impose further curbs on access to China, which last year accounted for $180 billion in chip purchases. That's one-third of the total worldwide figure. So let's move on. Oh, <coughs> excuse me. Wall Street's banks, uh, the biggest banks, have slashed their 2023 growth forecast for China. This is on the back of a weaker second quarter and a waning post-COVID recovery. JP Morgan, Citi and Morgan Stanley all cut full-year GDP estimates down to 5%, whilst Morgan Stanley also cut its 2024 estimate down to 4.5%. Goldman's kept its 2023 forecast unchanged, but did lower its outlook for the current quarter by a full percentage point. Well, the indebted Chinese property developer Evergrande uh, Group has posted a combined loss of $81 billion for 2021 and 2022. The company uh, long postponed financials. Well, they uh, also revealed its rising debt pile with liabilities currently sitting at around $340 
billion at the end of last year. Government curbs on industry loans and waning house demand have hit China's property sector, which has suffered a string of bankruptcies. Shares in Evergrande have been postponed since March last year. Should we take a quick look at some of the stocks in the sector? Again, some solid declines. You'll note that in the middle we have uh, a white move on Evergrande, which means that they are suspended, I understand. As well. um, Karen, I, I've been reading extensively, trying to learn something that hasn't already been put out there by global commentators on China. Uh, and I even read a terrific article in the, um, in the FT today. But the point about this article is it didn't tell me anything that I didn't think I already knew. And it was a, don't get me wrong, it's a very good article. It's 13 pages long. But we know about the concerns about the consumer. We know the conundrum that the state and the PBOC finds themselves under as well. We've seen what's happened to property and the ramifications that's had for the broader growth figures. We can see what's happening on trade as well. We can see what's happening on geopolitical relations. So these four or five factors are being regurgitated and at the moment I want to see a different narrative on China too in order to kind of move the needle on my thinking at the moment because yes a lot of challenges the Chinese think they can get through it with the current policy mix as well but by and large we seem to be talking about the same challenges on a regular basis and I'm yet to see something that moves the needle and says actually this is a lot worse or actually this could be a lot better because of. To me, what jumps out is that there have been concerns about this reopening theme, and that has rolled on to, can they even hit 5% this year? Uh, that story has then stepped up to, well, this is not just a, a weakness around a cycle. What we are actually looking at potentially is the ill effects of uh, structural challenges, that uh, all the issues we've been talking about for years are finally coming together, and that is the bursting of the property market, so too much debt, too much speculation, the very tight grip that the Communist Party has on the Chinese economy, which is not allowing businesses to flourish, and of course that very high government debt, that these factors are now constraining the Chinese economy. And some are looking, if you look at the trajectory, I think that is the word that many are now focused on. The trajectory is really bad. You've had growth that uh, was clocking up at a pace of, what, 10% in the 2000s, 7% last decade, and now effectively you've got a slowdown, as we're talking about, whether 5% is even achievable. There's uh, terrific reporting on this, and the ultimate outcome is that there are questions as to whether the Chinese government can re-gear from supporting the, the very big export industry, the manufacturers, to domestic industries to really fuel that domestic consumption, to change the nature of the economy. And there is a view simply that this may not happen. Separate to that, I think the market is saying, is the stimulus coming? And there is a view that even if it does come in its traditional form, interest rate cards, triple R, that investors may not have the confidence to even respond this time around. So I think the challenges are fascinating because they seem to be mounting, but it seem to be actually getting any better for China at this point. Yeah, let me get two more views uh, um, on this as well. Um, Xi Jinping does not define economic success in terms of GDP growth, which is very interesting. So says Arthur Kruber who is quoted in the FT article today uh, from Gavakal Dragonomics. He defines it in terms of tech self-sufficiency. And I think that's a very interesting um, take on it, i.e. we're talking about technological self-sufficiency rather than pure GDP. Another uh, piece has come in my inbox from Andrew Collier, who is uh, a contributor to this channel as well. It is clear that the economic growth is push rather than demand-led, which alludes to the exact point that you're making there about the consumer. Fiscal stimulus, along with bank loans, are all that is keeping the economy alive, as demand amongst consumers for property and retail goods remains weak, or disastrous. Yeah. I think it's very interesting. And for some commentators, it could be Japan all over again in terms of a middle income trap and stagflation starting to creep into the economy. But the Japanese got over that. 
they got over the middle income trap, and that's the thing that they got to rich nation status and, and, and a higher consumer wealth per GDP. But they were much more advanced when they started to stagnate than what China has been at. Absolutely. Right. Coming up on the show today, Arabile will be joining us to discuss the implications of Russia's decision to call off the Black Sea Grain Shipment Agreement and what it means for those most in need. As G20 finance ministers and central bank chiefs meet in Gujarat, Tanvi will be taking us on a deep dive into India's economy and the country's increasingly key role on the global stage. And as heat waves engulf the south of Europe, Spain's government unveils its new climate change legislation. We'll be speaking to the country's vice president and minister for ecological transition, Teresa Ribeiro, that is at 8.30 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Morgan stateside, let's take a look at the Dow and the performance. Uh, six straight sessions now in a very positive. Uh, United Health won the better performers, but a bounce, a modest gain, two tenths of a percent. Uh, outpaced elsewhere, as you could see, by the SP 500 and the NASDAQ, really carrying a lot of the gains. Triple digit point gain, 131 points on nine tenths of a percent. Fifth positive session in six. So some decent gains coming through for the Fang Plus stock. So worth noting too, the KBE, the banking index, also put in a solid performance, 1.7%. A couple of banks reporting, of course, across the Friday session and into Monday. So worth noting that uh, slight bounce just picking up there, although there were some negatives in terms of the deposit flight still taking place and how much extra the banks were having to pay to try and retain that deposit business. In terms of what we're seeing across the Asian markets, the market very much challenged by the mainland data yesterday. Hong Kong was out of action thanks to a typhoon. So in catch-up mode today, accounting for those outsized losses you're seeing versus the other major markets down almost 1.9% versus about two-tenths down again on the Chinese stock market. Australia in reverse. Uh, the odd one out here to the upside, really, Japanese stocks also resuming trade and uh, no doubt picking up on that U.S. lead that they're getting, both from that Friday session and from Monday, the trade high by about a tenth of a percent today. The U.S. futures, the early indications of that U.S. trade, we're looking uh, slightly soggy, not much in the way of direction but they are red arrows that we're watching at this hour, about four points down on the Dow Jones index at this stage. Microsoft and Activision Blizzard have secured a two-month stay in their case with the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, giving them more time to resolve their dispute. This after both parties went to a London tribunal Monday. In the wake of the regulator's unexpected announcement, it would extend its deliberation process by six weeks. As part of the judgment, the CMA must issue an explanation by Thursday of why it changed its mind, uh, that according to Bloomberg. The ruling comes amid Reuters reporting that Microsoft and Activision are in talks to extend their deal contract, which is slated to expire at midnight tonight, San Francisco time. Now, breaking the deadline wouldn't necessarily mean the deal collapses, but could put Microsoft on the hook for a $3 billion break fee if it chooses to walk away. 
There is a third option. Microsoft could move to complete the deal without the CMA's approval in breach of UK law. However, that would leave the firms potentially liable for a fine of up to 5% of their combined global revenue. All this is Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway reported it had cut its stake in Activision by around 70% to just over 14.5 million shares, putting its total holdings of the company at 1.9%. Arjun is here with more. Arjun, let's just circle back to the UK and uh, the regulator's approach here. To what extent is it proving a thorn in the side to uh, completing this transaction? Well, it feels to me very much like transfer deadline day, the last day uh, in the English Premier League when football clubs can make their last signings for the season ahead. So there's a lot of pressure here, and the UK certainly is a thorn in the side right now for Microsoft. So uh, there was a lot there. Uh, the state of play is very much this. The CMA is the last regulator standing in between Microsoft, uh, Activision, and this deal uh, closing at this stage as well. So there's a few things about what happens next. Uh, essentially, Microsoft's going to have to figure out a way to extend this deadline with Activision. That could include uh, some, somehow sweetening the deal. These sides both have to be in. Again, it doesn't mean that necessarily this deal collapses if they don't get done today, but that Microsoft will want to officially, formally extend this so there's no sort of counter offers coming in for Activision, for example. Now, the key with the UK review is this. When Microsoft goes back to the, to the UK CMA and says, these are our new proposals, this would actually trigger a fresh review from the CMA. This isn't the CMA sort of going back to the old review and reopening it. This would be a, effectively a new review, which, in all, albeit, will be expedited, but effectively the CMA will have to go through that process again. Which sounds like bureaucracy, right? It sounds like there's a, a very much a strong process. But it felt like the CMA really undid its own uh, process by saying you could do this, you could offer this as an incentive. So how seriously do we take the CMA at this It's point? effectively a U-turn in all but name, yeah. really. That, that, that's what they're looking at here. If, of course, they do go back and Microsoft offers the proposals and say, well, uh, this is our new uh, remedies and the, and the CMA does eventually approve it. it. It is that. But the question is, what are the remedies that, that Microsoft can offer at this point? They did earlier this year come back and say, well, look, we'll, we'll do these licensing deals. We'll allow Activision and Microsoft games to be on other platforms uh, as well. They've said um, that, that, that that was something they've offered the EU. It was something they offered uh, Sony and Nintendo as well in, in relation to Call of Duty, which is sort of the crown jewel uh, of Activision as well. So the question is, if the, if the CMA has already rejected those proposals, what more can Microsoft do? Very early on in the process, the CMA was saying, well, uh, one idea could be to carve out or divest the Call of Duty game or, or, or part of the Activision business. Microsoft said this is just not feasible. We just can't do that. Arjun, thank you very much for fleshing out the story for us this morning. Elsewhere, no, Goldman Sachs. Longer than he was allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> Goldman Sachs has cut the probability of a US recession from 25 to 20%. Chief economist Ian Hatzier said recent data has made the bank more confident that inflation will fall to an acceptable level without a recession, but warned it still sees slowing in the coming quarters as reduced bank lending has an impact. Edmund Shing joins us now, the CIO of BNP Paribas Wealth Management. Edmund, recession fears won't go away at this point. What are the concerns as you stared on the barrel of the second half? Well, quite clearly, Karen, you can think about earnings season, first of all. We know that uh, earnings season is becoming front and centre, really the most important factor uh, that investors will be looking at over the next week, two weeks, three weeks. And we also know that US profit margins are incredibly high. So even with the backdrop of better than expected US economic activity up to now, clearly uh, we have leading economic indicators such as the yield curve that point to a recession sometime, probably at, 
early next year, the beginning of next year. So we are expecting to see a slowdown in economic growth. And even before that, you expect to see prof uh, pressure on profit margins as we see labor costs continue to go up, economic activity slow down a bit, and given the very high starting point. So I think that is the thing that is on people's minds right now. But I wouldn't say, Karen, by the way, that that isn't necessarily a reason to be selling equities right now. Hi, Edmund. Um, why aren't we going to have a recession? We've had the biggest repricing of money, certainly this century, arguably uh, since you and I have been in the markets, which is a very long time as well. Uh, we've got a consumer which is drawing down aggressively across the board on its household savings, a consumer which is having a mortgage cost over 7% now, a consumer which is getting zipped for its savings despite the paltry moves from the banks to up their savings rates by decimals as opposed, so, as opposed to the 100 percentage points or basis points plus that they should be doing as well. Why isn't the US consumer going to be struggling? Well, I think, Steve, the US consumer clearly is going to slow. There's no doubt about that. But let's not all let's not forget as well the fact that consumption is not just about excess savings. It's about a combination of low unemployment or high employment, I should say, combined with, of course, wage growth. Now, we know we get wage growth because that's entirely the reason why the Fed has been raising rates to calm down inflation, but in particular to make sure no wage inflation spiral kicks off. And I, I think they've done that. Nevertheless, wage growth is ahead of CPI right now. What does that mean? It means that wage growth in real terms is positive. So actually, purchasing power or you know is is actually going to increase from here on out particularly if as i expect if the inflation rate particularly in the us continues to decline over the next few months because wage growth isn't good to, is going to decline but more slowly than inflation put the two things together what do you get you get positive purchasing power and i think that's important an important point particularly at the time with us employment let's not forget as in europe as in the uk is at a multi-decade high right now Take on board all of that, Edmund, as well. In terms of the market then and getting on to how one should trade, is this just a matter of timing before we have to get out? I mean, I ride the uh, Tiger or ride whatever you want to call it, the Mustang, uh, for a bit longer. It's a tricky one, Steve, because clearly there are plenty of uh, there are plenty of concerns. As I said, earnings season, you do expect earnings over the next six to 12 months to start to slow down because profit margins are unlikely to be able to stay as high as they are. Having said that, if you look at lots of places around the world outside of the US, they remain actually pretty good value. Japan, despite the fact it's had a hell of a run recently, is still very reasonably priced and has very positive fundamentals underlying it. If you think about the UK, the UK is an extremely cheap stock market, which is very unloved at moment for many reasons, not least of which is the fact that it doesn't have a lot of the technology-driven growth stocks. Um, but it's still an extremely cheap stock market right now, as is China. And of course, investors have been shunning China, as for mentions you've, reasons you've mentioned earlier, um, really are very much avoiding China. And that is also another very big very cheap stock market right, right now. So there are plenty of areas even outside of the rather expensive US where you can invest and actually obtain pretty good valuations and pretty good dividend yields in the short to medium term. Edmund, you know I'm going to throw value trap at you because we've seen that in the past where some markets can look cheap, but they are cheap for a reason. And we've just been talking about very weak fundamentals around the Chinese economy. Unless there's stimulus that actually works that investors buy into, isn't the, the Chinese market still a write-off for 2023? Yeah, I mean, Karen, this is, this is obviously the big question. We've been positive on China and frankly, since the end of January, it hasn't worked. 
It's the one call we've had that really hasn't worked uh, in the last few months. But uh, we would expect at the end of July, the Politburo meeting, which is going to take place in China, to result in a raft of new stimulus measures to support the economy as a whole, but in particular to support the property market. It's quite clear that there is no inflation in China, so there's nothing holding them back. Um, They don't have an inflation problem as in the rest of the world, so they can go ahead and launch stimulus. Obviously, they don't want to reignite another property market bubble. Um, They clearly want to avoid that in their goal of common prosperity. But I think in order to support consumption and in order to support um, manufacturing activity, construction activity in particular, they do want to introduce more measures to try to uh, shore up confidence in the property market. And I think that will be forthcoming probably just after the end of this month. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.